So this morning, I wanted to continue. We kind of had a couple of themes going. Last week, the Lord just so wonderfully spoke to us through the service. It was beautiful. And um, Darren has been kind of in a series out of the Lord's Prayer uh, on prayer. And, and I feel like Pastor Gary and I kind of have our own series going right now. <laughs> and so I really wanted to continue in that today. Uh, the last time I preached, uh, if you remember, I, it was on the soil of your heart being good soil so that you could receive the word of the Lord and it would thrive. <clears throat> and then when Pastor Gary preached here just a couple of weeks ago, he was really talking about the importance of getting in and studying the doctrines of the word. And, know, and, and I think today, more than ever, we need to really be in that when, when truth and the word is so debated um, that we need to know. And, and, and in terms of that, I'm excited. If you got your calendar, you saw that this month in August, we have uh, Rick Magoo coming, who's an apologist, and he helps us to, to grow in our ability to defend our faith. And so it's going to be a great Sunday. Uh, so, so Pastor Gary preached on that a couple of weeks ago. And so I kind of wanted to just take this a little further in the Word of God and talk about the personal interaction with the Word. The personal interaction with the Word. Um, we, we even sang about it this morning, right? It said, in the beginning was the Word. And what a beautiful name. And, and that's right out of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so how can it not be personal when the Word is Jesus himself, right? And so then we have in Hebrews chapter 4, we know that the Word of God is not this dead thing, but it is living. It's this living Word. It's this powerful, action-filled word. And if it's living, that means we can have relationship with it, right? And so I, I think often we, we talk about the word in regards to the, the study of it and, and aligning our lives to it, which is important and we'll talk about. But it really is about a relationship with the living word. And... Now, I love to talk about the relational side of it because I feel like I can come at it as a person that by nature is not relational. <laughs> My personality, I'm not, I, I have worked to develop and grow in that. But like this week, I've been quite happy being all by myself. <laughs> and, and so by nature, if, if you think about, many of you know the account of Mary and Martha, friends of Jesus, and one of my life passages is the passage from, from the life of Mary and Martha. When Jesus comes to their home, and all of the, all of the disciples are there, and Jesus is speaking to them, and Martha, at first it says that Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet, which is unusual for a woman to begin with, and listened to his teaching. That's where Mary was at. Martha, where was Martha? She was distracted, it says, with much serving. That, it would be me in a nutshell, 
and, and left to my own flesh and nature, that would be who I am, distracted with much serving, which then leads to the attitude of Martha. <laughs> yeah, everybody laughing, it must be a Martha right now. <laughs> and she goes, and to begin with, she's a tattletale to Jesus. Jesus, look at her. Do we have any tattletales in the room? I probably was one. I don't remember. I'll have to ask my mother. But I'm the rule follower, so I was probably tattling on my siblings that were breaking rules. But she says, Lord, don't you care that Mary has left me to do all the serving? Tell her to help me. Oh, my. Now she's telling Jesus what to do. Jesus, go tell her to help me. The audacity. Uh, uh. Here's what the Lord says. Martha, Martha. I love you said that twice. I just feel that sometimes from the Lord. Cammy, Cammy. You are anxious and troubled about many things. And then he says this. One thing is necessary. Everybody say that. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is about relationship. And so I love to talk about that because I'm coming at it from a redeemed Martha that has learned what it is to be a Mary that sits at the feet of Jesus. And so when people try to tell me, well, that's just not who I am, I'm like, no, don't even try to talk to me about it because I'm hardcore Martha left to my own devices. But I have taught myself to be a Mary. And, and I still get caught up in the Martha-ness of it because there's still that little beside of me that says, well, if, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? And every Martha in here has said that. I know I'm not alone in that. And yet Jesus doesn't seem to care. <laughs> Who does it? He's just saying, I'm not going to take it from the one that's chosen to be a Mary and sit at my feet. And so the heart of this is that Jesus is first and foremost saying there's only one thing necessary. And it is the relationship that you and I have together. All of the other stuff is important. And I say that because I find it interesting that one of the places that Jesus loved to visit was the home of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha. And so I believe that it's the, the both of them that attracted Jesus. So I'm not saying that there, there's not that part that's important, but, but the first and foremost, the one thing is relationship. And so today we're going to talk about relationship in regards to the word of God. And so there are, there's one thing necessary, and then there's kind of three things that are necessary to walk in the one thing that's necessary. And so we're going to look at a few of those. And the first thing is, I've already stated it, that it was never, never about rules and laws and regulation. Although most of the Old Testament, that's what it looked like, Jesus came so that it wouldn't be about all of that. 
And in Matthew 7, there's this powerful passage. And in verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast demons out in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Wow, that's stuff we see around here, isn't it? And then uh, Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I find this interesting that, first of all, Jesus says, I never knew you. That intimate, it's in regards to that intimate. Think of that, the knowing between a spouse. I never knew you. I never had this oneness with you. And as a result, you have practiced lawlessness. Why? If you think of that word lawlessness, in the Old Testament, it was, the word was expressed through the law. It was expressed through his statutes. It was expressed through, the only word they had was through the prophets, right? And so when we see this lawlessness, it's like they're saying, Jesus is saying, Law, I am the word. And you have not, you've practiced lawlessness. You've rejected the word. I am the word. And I never knew you. And so for me, this is a huge warning that it never, never has been about. We love to see people freed from demons. We love to see people healed. It's what he wants for people. However, it all has to come out of the knowing. He's not impressed by all of the outward. He only cares about the knowing. And so remembering that it never has been. The redemption of mankind has never been for the outward appearances. It's always about the knowing. And the second necessary thing is this wonderful term that we know of as first love. And... If you have ever been in first love, you know what that means and what that looks like. And in fact, in Ephesians, and if you, in, the, in the city of Ephes, in Ephesus, they saw amazing things. We just talked in Petersburg Thursday night about the riot in Ephesus. There was so much miraculous things happening through the body of Christ that the, the, that the people that were selling statues of the goddess Diana was losing income because of it, and it caused this huge, massive riot within the city. That's pretty powerful, right? They were upturning their city for Jesus. And yet later in Revelation, he says, um, wait a minute, you, I have this against you. You've lost your first love. And so... Within this realm of relationship with the Word of God, how many of you, because I think a lot of you here have been believers for a very long time, how many of you can remember when you first invited Jesus into your heart? And, man, it's like you couldn't get enough of the Word of God. You're just searching it out, searching it out, searching it out, searching it out. 
you're like, Adam, let's go get a new Bible and let's mark it all up, right? What is that? That's that first love. And as we start serving the Lord 30 or 40 years, we can start to get in this mentality. Well, I know that. I know that. I've been taught that. You're not going to tell me anything new. <laughs> what is that? That's that loss of first love. So what I have here is an example. This is my private box that none of you may come and find afterwards. I pulled this out of my basement yesterday and I dusted it off. <laughs> Some of us need to do that with the word. Dust it off. And, and this is what it contains. These would be Darren's letters to me. No, I'm not going to read them. <laughs> There was, parents, I say this often, parents don't like Darren and I's testimony as I was engaged my senior year of high school. And then we were married the following year. And, and that, students have used that against their parents. I, I know one girl from our previous youth group who did get married young and, but Darren and Cammie did, she said. I was like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Now that I'm older, I look back and say, you better know it's God. Because I look at them all now and think, oh, my goodness. No wonder my mother ran out of the room crying. I was a baby. And she literally did. Poor Darren. I chased after her, and Darren was left sitting with my father. <laughs> so, this, so there was a year that um, my senior year I was engaged, and he was at Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. And so it gave me a little glimpse of this the longing we should be having for Jesus and his return and the absence of him face to face. And so, yes, all of you young ones, this was before, you know, the, the internet days of being able to communicate on, you know, texting and we wrote letters. We wrote a lot of letters. And in fact, one of them, I laughed because one of them, I'm like, what is up with this letter? And he had run out, oh yeah. I'm like, this is a weird one. He, he had run out of envelopes, so he made his own. This is, I, I mean, I started reading. I'm like, oh, my. Darren was a letter writer, as you can see. And this was, I mean, we did have phones. We didn't have cell phones, so it was landline phones, right, that we had to communicate. But this was living words for me. And this was, this first love of, of longing for the one that would be my bridegroom, this was a continual watching. I was watching always for another letter. I was always listening. Is the phone going to ring? And what is that? That is that heart of first love, of longing to hear from the one that I loved. And now I was like, oh, I'm enjoying this week by myself. <laughs> I would not, I'll say this, I would not go back to those days. I want to go back to the first love. But yet we have now 29 years of living together of worshiping and serving Jesus together, of walking through hardship together, of walking through, you know, good times and fun times together, 
that all create this intimacy that I have with him and, and no one else. So it's not that I want to go back to those first days. It's about the first love of those days. And when you take the first love of those days and the maturity of a relationship, that's a powerful thing. And so you've been a believer for a lot of years and you have all of this history with Jesus. It's why I love to sing that he is good and he has been faithful to me. Because why I have this history with Jesus of walking through good times with him and walking through tragic times with him. And that you cannot exchange the intimacy of suffering in, th in things with Jesus. There's an intimacy you get there that you don't get any other time. And so I would not trade all of these years of walking with Jesus, but I want to maintain that excitement of first love, the passion of first love. It's what it's about, and it's what he is longing for from us. Jesus prayed to the Father in Matthew 17, and he said, May they be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. It is that oneness, that knowing that he wants from us. Anything else is religion. Anything else is outward. You can have a shell of a marriage that appears good, and if there's not the knowing, there's not the intimacy with that one. That is just that shell, right? And, and so there, Jesus is saying, I'm not content with just a shell, with just an appearance. I want to be one with you and you one with me. And so what is necessary for only one thing to be necessary? First love. And to get it back at all costs. The third thing that is necessary for the one thing that is necessary is this healthy balance. Here's what, here's what happens is that some people are like all word people. I, I, all word and following the word to the T. And if there's not the relationship within that word, you become, it, it's that religion you become like a Pharisee, right? The Pharisees excelled at following the law. But who wants to be like that? It, they're the one people that Jesus got pretty aggressive against. The Pharisees, his people, his, the leaders. And so for us to have, if we're just, I'm going to follow the word, but there's not relationship with the word, it becomes this religion like the Pharisees. However, you can strive to, I'm going to have relationship, but the word's not important to me. What you have there is non-commitment. An example of this would be the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to follow you? He had a heart that's saying, I want to have relationship with you. And Jesus looks at him and speaks the word. Go and, and sell all that you have and give it away. He doesn't embrace the word, though. 
Because he doesn't embrace the word, he walks away. He loses out on that relationship. And so there's this balance. Like I had a, uh, one of our, from our previous church, one of our intercessors, I, I had a conversation with her one day, and I was talking about the word, and she, I, I couldn't believe it. She was a mature believer even, well, mature. She was a long-standing, I'll say it that way, believer. I couldn't believe she said it to me. She said, well, the word's not really my thing. I, I just, I'm looking at her in shock, like, how is that even possible? The word is Jesus. Jesus is the word. If it's not your thing, then maybe we need to have a come to Jesus moment. I don't know, but I, I was just shocked that this, like, pillar person was saying to me, the word is not my thing. What, what that says to me is non-commitment. It, what it speaks to me is trying to have a relationship, a, a, a couple living together without the covenant of marriage is what that is saying to me. You cannot, you cannot have Jesus and not the word and the word and not Jesus. He's one and the same. He is one and the same. And he's not interested in anything that's appearance-based. He's only interested in the relationship between you and him. And so for us to live as this one thing that is necessary, this is the beauty of the word of God and, and the beauty of the Old Testament. I want to spend a few moments here talking about a very special person in the Old Testament, King David. And King David is unique because he's a warrior. He is a king, but he's a warrior. He's a soldier. He's got, I mean, he, he has bloodied his hands in battle. Yet he is this lover of the presence. He is a worshiper like nobody else. And so when you look back into the, if you do a study on the tabernacles, and I'm not going to get in depth with this, but there were different tabernacles throughout the Old Testament. Moses' tabernacle um, is one with animal sacrifices, right? And so then that one ended up ending and, and the people of Israel, the men of Israel decide, oh, we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant, the, the box that represented the presence of God. It contained Aaron's staff. It had the bowl of manna. It had the stone tablets of the law. It represented the presence of God. And the men said, we're going to take it into battle as like our defense. Well, it didn't work out the way they planned, and they lost it to the enemy. And so when David comes along and becomes king, he begins to say, now remember, he's the worshiper. He's the worshiper in such a way that when King Saul was tormented with demons and he began to play his instrument of worship, they would leave. That is powerful worship. And so David says, I want to I build it. I build a tabernacle for the Lord. 
And so he says, I want to restore the Ark of the Covenant back. And so he goes and he puts up a tent. We like tents around here. He puts up a tent and he brings back the Ark. And this tabernacle is unique like no other. There are not animal sacrifices. And nobody, God has not taught Israel the power of how worship works yet. But somehow David has this understanding. And I feel like he got it as a teenager on the backfield with just he and the sheep as he's worshiping the Lord. And so in his tabernacle, he hires like 4,000 people. And these, these Levitical people, they begin to just surround. Now remember, in the other tabernacles, where is the Ark of the Covenant placed? Behind the veil in the Holy of Holies. Not so with David. David has it right out where anybody can glimpse it. And instead of a veil, what he has are all of these worshipers and musicians. 24-7 is worship and praise happening around the Ark of the Covenant. It has become the veil. <laughs> he got something. He understood something. He understood it was never supposed to be behind a veil. And, and David is powerful because David is the foreshadow of Jesus himself. He is the picture of the Messiah to come. And in so many ways, he reflects that. He was 30 when he became king. Isn't that interesting when Jesus began his ministry? He had this 24-7 prayer happening in the tabernacle for 33 years. Somebody tell me, that's not cool. 33 years, the life of Jesus. There are these beautiful foreshadows, that prophetic picture of what is to come through the life of David. And you see it right there with those worshipers around the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant being the veil your worship is powerful you don't understand you don't understand what begins to happen when in your personal life when nobody's around you begin to worship you begin to praise you begin to worship you begin to praise what are you doing wow you're entered into the holy of holies and you're standing in the presence of the living word jesus and so why do i say that about king david one of my favorite psalms, Psalms 119, and I referred to it a couple of the verses when I preached the last time. It's the longest chapter in the, in the Bible. It does not give a known author, but many believe it was King David based upon some comparison writings and some references. I think it is because I'm like, Man, David was this a worshiper. He had no trouble connecting to his emotions and expressing emotions. And when you read through this chapter, you are, not, you are getting a person that is a lover. And so what I want you to hear in this chapter is the heart of this person. Because I hear this and then I say, do I have this heart for the word of God? Do I have this desire for the word of God myself? And so 
I'm just going to read through a few of the things I just went through and I wrote down every reference of how he felt about the word. Now, you'll see the terminology here being the law or statutes, but this is the word of God. Here's what, here's what the author says about God's word. I've hidden it in my heart, I've meditated on it, and I've run the course of the word. Numerous times he says, I delight myself in them. He anticipates seeing wondrous things in it. He longs for it. He hopes in it. He loves it exceedingly. He won't be ashamed of it. He is wholehearted towards it. The law of his mouth, God's, is better than thousands of coins of silver and gold. He loves it more than the things of this world. His eyes fail from searching his word. Good for He says, it's good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn his statutes. He's embracing suffering as a means of gaining greater insight into the word. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey. He inclines his heart toward them. Rivers of water run down from his eyes because men do not keep his law. His heart stands in awe of his word, and he rejoices in it. That's some powerful feeling toward God and his word. And this is Old Testament not had the revelation of Jesus in the new covenant. And here we are today with the fullness of understanding of this beautiful covenant with Jesus. And so often I can get into the place where it's the system of beliefs I've aligned my life to, and that's not what it was intended for at all. It was intended that I might know the living word Jesus and he might know me. Anything else is religion. And so to have a relationship with Jesus is to have a relationship with his word. It's to have a relationship with his, him speaking to me and hearing and knowing his voice speaking to me. And so today, here's my goal to inspire you to Come before the Lord Jesus and to say, I want to come back to first love with you and your word. And if you've never had the first love experience yet, it, it, it's not difficult. Jesus calls us and he just says, I want to take up residence in your heart. I want you to to lay down your life and receive my life. All of the going, living your way, I want you to exchange for living my way. I want you to come into relationship with me. And it's as simple as praying that to the Lord. And so today what I want us to do is to have some moments in communion because communion is, a, is really what is a, it's about, is the knowing. It's through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus that we are able to come freely with no veil 
and similar way to the tabernacle of David, to enter into his presence and to worship him. And in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, I, this verse has come back to me. I've been recommending it to a few people. Um, Song of Solomon is one of those very, uh, well, you know, as a teenager, you read that, and you're not always, like, being very sanctified in why you're reading it. <laughs> but it's a very explicit book. It's a very intimate book. And it, it's between a man and a woman, but it's also a picture of Jesus and his people. And in Song of Solomon, chapter, chapter 1, verse 2, it says that he will kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And this is amazing because what is, I, I mean, I know you got to think about a kiss, right? First of all, he's, he is kissing me. And so he's setting himself upon me. And, and he's doing that with his mouth, which is what it, the definition says, it's a word. So what is he doing? But he is setting upon me his word. And then, you know, a kiss is two-sided. Then I return that kiss, and I set myself upon his word knowing, the knowing, the joining together through his word. It's an intimate and it's a beautiful thing. And it's, not, it's, if you think about this in every relationship, we all are born, I don't know that we all recognize it, but we are all born with this need to, to know and to be known. And, and often we try to satisfy ourselves with other things because we're not getting the satisfaction through Jesus and his word that we need to have. And, and even today, I, I had an experience of that when today is my grandson's birthday. He's turning, he turned five. And uh, Sarah sent me um, a picture of him this morning, and she said, when he, he popped up out of bed this morning, and he said, is Nona here? <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my heart melted. I'm like, no, but I will be at the end of the week. What, but even in that little five-year-old, there's something in every one of us. It doesn't matter. It, it, it comes in spouses. It comes in friendships, as parents, as friends, however it comes. In that moment, though, I felt the longing of my grandson for Nona. And it couldn't help but make me smile this morning. What is that? That's relationship. And this is what Jesus wants. He, I think sometimes we undervalue what he wants from us, that he really does desire to delight in you, and he's delighted by you. I think we underestimate that. I think why? Because we, we don't value ourselves. How could Jesus ever want to be with me? I don't want to be with me, right? And yet, Jesus says, no, no, no. Do you see, I, I, I hung on this cross for you. <laughs> that gives you value. I hung on the, for the joy that was set before me. I endured the cross. That means for the joy of relationship with you. Yes, you, yes, you. Not the person next to you, you. For the joy of you, he endured the cross. 
He longs for relationship with us. He's not impressed by how much of the word you know, but he is happy when you love it and you love to be in it and you love to experience him in it. That's what impresses him. And so this morning, what I, if you have not gotten your communion, I want you to go grab it. Brian's getting it. Just raise your hand if you did not get communion. There's a couple of them. Okay. The power of communion is it takes us back to first love. And, and I wanted, Nick had asked me about some music for the altar time. But I said, no, I want to embrace this because we have to learn to be still and know his voice. We have to learn to not be afraid of quietness and lack of noise and lack of <clears throat> things constantly bombarding us. And that's very hard for some people. And I think it's hard because we, ha we end up having to face things that, that are there. But I want us, it, often that word of the Lord comes in, in quiet ways. And I, actually, I asked Amy if I could share her this testimony. Because what it, it was an example of her interacting with the living word. And so... The beginning of this year, I started ordering gluten-free communion because one of our members required it. And so the last time we had communion, Amy came in to receive it, and, and she just felt like I should take the gluten-free communion. She didn't really understand why, just felt compelled to do that. And so she did, and when she was in the moments of communion, like she had some kind of unique enjoyment of that specific communion. And through the partaking of the gluten-free communion, the Lord compelled her that she needed to begin to live gluten-free. And so she's a month maybe now, about a month has been living gluten-free the doctor had diagnosed her with something that she didn't know what it was. But I, when we were talking, I said, well, I don't think you're supposed to have gluten if that's what it is. And so at that point, she had already been gluten-free for a number of weeks, not even knowing that, that physically her body was requiring it. What is that? That is the living word. That is relationship with the word. And when you have relationship with the word, the word guides you, it directs you, it interacts with you. It gives joy, it gives life to you. And so there's this place of tuning. What did he say in Psalm 119? He inclined his, his heart to the, to the word. And so in these moments of communion, that's what I want us to do, is to incline our hearts to the word. I have that picture of the, at the Last Supper with John 
the beloved leaning on the, the breast of Jesus. And what is that? He has this intimate, he, John got this belovedness that he was the beloved of the Lord. He got that and delighted in it. And the Lord wants some of you here today to catch that, that you are the beloved of Jesus. And he wants to interact with you out of relationship. And so I want you to take the bread today. And now this might get a little uncomfortable for some of you because it's just going to be quiet. You're just going to be quiet for a moment before the Lord. And he became this body for you. Became this body for you because he wanted you to be able to enter into his presence. That you can enjoy knowing him and being known by him. And so Jesus, we embrace the quietness. We embrace putting aside everything that would hinder us hearing your word and knowing your word, you. We lay aside distractions to knowing your word, to engaging with your word. And we invite your word in to do what you want it to do inside of us. In Isaiah, the heart longing of God was, oh, that you had just gone my way the peace that you would have had, the righteousness that you would have. We hear your longing in that passage, Lord. And so today we just say yes to you. We say yes to knowing your word. We say yes to walking with it, to partaking of it. In Jesus' name, let's partake of the body of Christ. And then we have the cup that was the seal, his blood, the blood covenant. Covenants always had to be accompanied with the shedding of blood. And in this new covenant, it's the blood of Jesus, the living word. And through the power of your blood, we have been cleansed, we have been renewed. The old is gone and the new has come keeps us cleansed and washed that all of the stuff that would keep us from walking in first love would be washed away under the wonderful flow of the blood of Christ and so today Jesus we ask as we partake of this cup your blood we ask that you would give us just a fresh cleansing of things that may be attitudes, heart issues that have kept us from walking in the passion and the desire and the longing of first love. Of the things that keep us from sitting at the feet of Jesus, while, like Mary. Washing us from the attitudes of Martha and the criticalness and judgmentalness. And just saying, Jesus, there's one thing necessary, and I choose you. 
And so we partake of your cup today, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray over your sons and daughters today. For that's what we are. We're sons and daughters. And you love to have relationship with your sons and daughters. And I pray that your sons and daughters would have ears to hear your word in their lives daily. I ask that your sons and daughters would have a heart longing for you that is not satisfied by anything except your presence. We say that we are a people of your presence. We are people that are longing for the return of Jesus, that we might be with you face to face. We're a people that saying, we know this is not our home. We know this is not the end here. We are looking for that day when we will one day not have to leave you, but we will be with you around the throne room in your very presence. And so God, I pray that you would so incline us to be lovers. First and foremost, that we would be lovers and that we would not be people that say, well, that's not me. No, we choose to be lovers. We choose to grow. Lord, we understand that our ability to grasp the depths of your love are impossible. And so, Lord, we remove the limitations of our own capacity to love, and we open ourselves up to the depths of your love and say that we are not content to just love to the best of our ability, but we want to love with your ability. We want to have eyes that season to your depth. We want to have ears that can hear the song of the loved one singing over us. And so, Lord, we just embrace your depths today. And we say no to the limitations, but we say, take us deeper, take us further, Jesus. We want to know you. We want to be known by you. We want to be one with you and the Father, just as you and the Father are one. We want to abide in you, Jesus. We don't want to be the shell. We want to be the substance of the love relationship with you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, this morning, now you get to get out early, so this is plenty of time. What The two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God, and the second one, to love people. So now, you know, there's no rush. You're just going to go wait in line at the restaurant. So take this half hour and love on one another, okay? Because we are the body of Christ. So we are one with one another just as we are one with him, right? Right? So look across the room right now. See somebody you don't really know and go ask them about their first love experience, okay? Ask about their first love experience. And Darren will be back next week, and we'll have a wonderful time in his presence. Blessings to you all today.